0: December in Aberdeen can be a bitterly cold month, with storms lashing the east coast. On Wednesday 12th December 1945, Alexander King decided the weather was good enough to go beachcombing for driftwood at Torrey, a district to the south of the city centre. Debris from ships was often washed ashore there and the 74-year-old enjoyed looking for anything of use. Not far from the junction of Greyhope Road and St Fittock's Road, his eyes were drawn to a pale object lying just below the high-tight mark. As he approached, he could see it was a left forearm. He stopped collecting his driftwood and raised the alarm, calling the police. News travelled fast and later that day the Evening Express, Aberdeen's evening newspaper, ran the headline, Grim Find on Aberdeen Foreshore, Son of Arm and Hand. Foul play suspected. Dr Robert Richards, the police surgeon, inspected the limb and deduced it belonged to a female, around 18 who, he surmised, had been alive three days earlier. He also believed it had only been in the water for a short time, even though the back of the hand had been eaten by sea creatures. The fingers showed that whoever the arm belonged to smoked because there were nicotine stains on them. By the time of his inspection, rigor mortis had set in. A spokesperson for the police indicated that the work was neat, but it was not necessarily the work of someone with medical training. Several possibilities were discounted, including that a ship's propeller had struck the arm. Binder twine was also found tied in a granny knot. Around the wrist. The day the arm was found, uniformed police officers wearing waterproofs and rubber boots began scouring the foreshore with garden forks to see if any further remains had been washed up. Some boats were also used to check the sea near to the shore looking for body parts. The man leading the investigation was Detective Superintendent John Westland and it only took him and his men four hours to identify the victim. Elizabeth Ann Craig, or Haddon, known to her friends and family as Betty, had disappeared a few days beforehand but had not been reported missing as she often did this. She lived with her widowed mother at Nine Manor Walk in the Middlefield district of the city and was just a few days shy from celebrating her 18th birthday. The reason she was so easily and quickly identified was that her fingerprints were on file as she had been arrested for a minor offence. Her widowed mother, Kate Haddon, was informed shortly after the identification. Betty had worked a number of different jobs, including a kitchen maid and a waitress, but she hadn't managed to hold any of these jobs down for very long. She had also worked as an agricultural labourer and been employed at the Broadford Works, a textile mill in the city. Her final job was as a fish gutter, which lasted just three days. She preferred spending her time in the pubs and dance halls. The investigation was hampered by the fact that any man that had known her was reluctant to come forward. Daily appeals were made in the newspapers and on the radio for witnesses who had seen her in Aberdeen, but this bore little fruit. The police continued their search of the foreshore and extended it about two miles south from where the arm had been found, and the banks of the River Dee were also checked. Officers trawled the foreshore of Fitty and beyond, hoping to find the body of the missing young woman. They even searched the disused Balnegasque golf course for any clues and dug up allotments. Eventually, the search was extended all along the East Coast, but to no avail. Ships anchored in Aberdeen harbour were searched and mariners and fishermen were told to keep an eye out for anything suspicious. Information came in about her movements from the last day she was seen alive, Friday the 7th of December. She had been visiting relatives in Torrey and this was the last verified sighting of her. The following Monday, a girl looking like her boarded a tram in Castle Street, her arms linked with two sailors. The witness recognised Betty from a photograph that had been issued to the public and printed in the newspapers. Another witness claimed she had been in the company of a 15-year-old boy, but he was never traced. Kate Haddon had seen her 10 days beforehand, but wasn't unduly worried about her, as she often did this. Further information came in regarding the final movements of Betty. A female acquaintance of hers had met her in Park Street around lunchtime on the Tuesday afternoon and she had asked where she could get lodgings for the night. The woman didn't know, so Betty left, telling her she knew someone in the vicinity of George Street who would put her up. That evening, another witness claimed that Betty had flirted with three sailors in Market Street. There were no further sightings. To back up Dr Richard's finds, Professor Sidney Smith came to Aberdeen to the medical school, where he was due to conduct oral exams for the fourth year students. Betty's arm was to be examined by both men and Smith confirmed Richard's findings. Forensic experts at the University of Aberdeen also confirmed that the arm had been in the water for around 24 hours, no more than that, before it was found by the retired cooper, Mr King. Both men agreed that a saw and a knife had been used to dismember the arm from the body, and due to the saw marks in the bone and where the bone had splintered, the size of the instrument was determined. Sir John Learmonth was even able to determine the position of Betty's body as she was being dismembered. To find out whether the arm had been thrown into the water at sea or thrown into the water from land, the foreleg of a pig was used to act as the arm. It was thrown into the water at various places, including the estuary, and at the harbour as well as the River Dee. It was found to land in the right area when it was thrown from Torrey, therefore the conclusion was that it had been thrown from there into the water. The next question was where the murder and subsequent dismemberment had taken place. The twine around Betty's forearm was examined by Dr. H.S. Holden at Nottingham in the police laboratory there, but his conclusions were unhelpful as the twine was commonly used. On Christmas Day, the local CID issued the following statement. Information to the police during the past few days has established that about 2 a.m. on Wednesday 12th December, screams, described as being made by a female in terror, were heard by several people at different points in the Torrey District. The points at which the screams were heard strongly suggest that they came from within Mansfield Road, Victoria Road, and St. Fittock's Road, on the south side of the River Dee. If the person who screamed was not Betty, it is of vital importance that the police should learn who that person was. The police believed that it was in the early hours of 12th December, between 2 and 5 in the morning, that Betty had been murdered in Torrey. House-to-house searches got underway, and police wanted to trace all vehicles seen in the area around that time. Using a map, it was divided up into sections and every day a particular section was investigated. Police even went so far as to recreate the screams that had been heard. Clerical staff and a policewoman carried this out at various points, but nothing came of it. However, police were still determined to find out who had screamed that night. If it wasn't Betty, who was it? No further information came forward as the case continued into 1946 Betty's arm was preserved in the anatomy department of the University of Aberdeen but was disposed of at some stage. The murder of Betty Haddon remains unsolved.